You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Isaiah 60, 1-6 Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then they will see and be radiant, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is in Matthew, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the peoples, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity. Uh, my name is Justin Riley. I'm one of the uh, parish elders here at Trinity. I'm not the normal guy in the pulpit, if, uh, if you didn't know that. So Brian Brown is our ministering elder. He's normally uh, the guy up here uh, preaching. And he, uh, the session of elders here at Trinity is... Uh, is pretty glad to send Brian a couple times a year to go uh, spend some time with his family and uh, and spend some time on his own, really kind of charting out where our uh, our sort of path of preaching will go over the coming months, uh, and in this case, really the bulk of 2022. So Brian is enjoying some uh, some time with his family and some time just in study and kind of charting that course uh, in somewhere outside a steamboat in feet and feet of snow. So we're grateful uh, to him and grateful to be able to, to send him to do that. Um, so it's my, it's my privilege and joy to get to preach uh, this text this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dive right in. God, thank you for your kindness. God, thank you uh, for your goodness to us. 
We thank you that you are a good and kind king, one who has come uh, to rule justly and mercifully. God, we pray this morning that your, um, that, that your word would pierce our hearts, God, um, that, that we would not find ourselves complacent, but God, that you would, by your spirit, God, use the truth of your word to shape us, to change us, God, to, to be constantly making us more and more like you. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth of it. And pray, God, uh, that it would go forth this morning and shine a light into the, the heart, our hearts and the hearts of the nations. Um, God, may all of it be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue in uh, what, the, what church history has, has called Christmas Tide, uh, there's a, a song you may be familiar with. We've talked about this before, but it's the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas wasn't a, just uh, a cute song that was, that was made up um, to help, I don't know, remind us to give good gifts like rings of gold and uh, turtle doves and such. Uh, the 12 days of Christmas was really established through church history as the, the 12 days between Christmas and what is called Epiphany. So Epiphany is, uh, is the point, is the day where we mark or we recognize what this text in Matthew uh, 2 is describing to us where the Magi show up and they show up with a specific purpose which is to recognize, to bring offerings to and to worship this newborn king. That's Epiphany. So we all think of Epiphany as it's more probably commonplace in our vernacular of, oh, I, I had an epiphany. I uh, found out this morning that my boots are quite slippy. It was an epiphany. I thought I had good tread. I don't. Uh, so epiphany, the, the original epiphany is this one. It is the, it's sort of the dawning on us of new information. It's the seeing or understanding of some new insight or piece of information. So um, this, the original, uh, the OG epiphany was this most poignant, most brilliant um, manifestation of new information in all of history. It was the incarnation of a living God and particularly the revealing of that Lord and King uh, come as an infant to the Gentiles. It, it, it is the arrival of the King of Kings. So we're going to take a few minutes uh, I, not being Brian, I think I have a pretty good bead on my timing here. Um, I'm not going to keep you through lunch. Um, not that Brian keeps us through lunch all the time. But what I'm going to do is uh, just kind of like, let's just walk through this story. This may be a very familiar story to you. This may be a story that you've heard, I don't know, umpteen million times. Um, it, this may be a story that's new to you. But what I want to do is walk us through the story, through the text, and then talk about uh, for a few minutes why this is here, why it's important, and why we need to take note of it, how we ought to live differently because of it. So let's start with the story, the Magi. So they show up. We don't know a lot about them, right? This, they're not described in better detail in, in some other text. Uh, what we do know about them is that they're well-educated men. So we know that they are, uh, because of sort of who they are, the title that they hold of magi, magi they are experts in history, they are experts in uh, astrology, dream interpretation, sacred writings, uh, experts in mysteries, it says, um, and also ones who pursued wisdom and magic. 
Now, we don't know exactly how many they are. We always say that there's the, the three wise men, the we, oh, the we three kings of Orient are, right? We're familiar with that. Um, we don't know exactly if there were three or if there were 20 of them. Uh, but we assume that there are three because there are three gifts present and presented. We don't know precisely where they're from. We know they're from the east, uh, likely like Persia, Babylon sort of area. Um, we don't know exactly who they are, but we know... Uh, some things about them. So let's let's just for a second think about who these men are. They may or may not actually be royalty. Did they wear crowns? Were they kings? We don't know exactly, but we do know that they were the types of guys who could get an audience with a king in a hurry, uh, particularly by the questions that they're asking. So they represent nobility or at least aristocracy, as represented by a couple of facts. One, uh, that they were regarded by Herod, respected by him, and he listened to them. Um, And they were fairly easily granted an audience with Herod, which not necessarily an easy thing to do, uh, particularly if you're a commoner. The other thing, the other fact, the other point in here that tells us that these men are of nobility of some sort um, is by the, the gifts that they bring. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, maybe you've heard these stories uh, several hundred times, um, but just bear with me here. They, they bring gifts that are of great value, right? They're expensive gifts. So, for instance, uh, I, have some, I have several friends whom I give, gave gifts this Christmas of whiskey. That's the gift that I give. Um, and I, you know depending on sort of uh, proximity to me relationally kind of dictates, are we in the like $60, $70 whiskey range or are we in like the $100 whiskey range? That's pretty much my range, right? These, these are not like, the, the, these gifts are not like $60 like Angel's Indy, which is not a bad gift, don't get me wrong. These are like the... I don't know, $8,000 super rare Pappy Van Winkle. If you know nothing about whiskey, just Google it or ask your husband. Husbands, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just come see me. I'll pray for you after service. Or I'll have you order a house and just show you what's going on. Anyway, these are gifts that are like of, of great value. These are not like commoner, like gifts that common folk would give. So that tells us something about them as well. Um, the, the last piece is they're, they're granted an audience with royalty in an expectation that, that, that they would have that audience. Um, also a thing that would not be common uh, for, for just any normal uh, group of guys. Um, we know a couple things about them. We know that they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. So they come in search of the king of the Jews. They're not showing up saying, hey, where's our new king? They're saying, where is the king of the Jews, the one prophesied about? And they came, most importantly, they came, as it, as it says here, uh, they show up in verse 2. They're saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Their goal, the whole point of this significant journey that they've made is to worship this king who is yet Uh, an infant or toddler at at best. So we know they followed the star. 
um, that's not like kind of a normal thing in our day, right? So some have deduced that the Magi were, in fact, kind of astrologers. They were for sure learned men. They were well-educated and at least familiar with astronomy, but they were also paying attention. So think about this. I don't know if, if you guys would notice um, if, if someone were like, hey, that, did you see that new star pop up last night? Like, I don't know if you see, it's over in the east. And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I've gone out and looked up at the stars plenty of times and behold them and been amazed in them and could not tell you when another one just popped up, right? But these men were paying attention. They, they actually paid attention and watched what was happening and knew enough to know that this was not a normal thing. So many... Um, Many observers would may have noticed this as a natural phenomenon, may have been a slow-moving kind of comet moving through the sky, uh, but it, it, it's not just a normal star. It, it led them not just to the right place in terms of a, a province or a town, but led them to the very house where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were. So perhaps this star... Uh, wasn't just a fiery ball of burning gas. There's a, there's a quote on the front of the worship guide that's from uh, the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, um, where Eustace, if you don't know anything about the story, uh, you really, really should read it. Um, if you do, if you're familiar with it, Ramandu is a star, he's talking, um, and Eustace goes, I, you know, in my world, stars are just burning balls of flaming gas. And Ramandu says, uh, flaming gas is merely what stars are made of, but not what they are. So perhaps this star was more than just a flaming ball of gas. Uh, it's possible, in fact, that they were aware of the prophecy of Balaam. So this is out of uh, numbers. This is, to me, seemed a little bit obscure. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read this for you. But it's uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 24, in verse 17. In fact, I'll back up and read from 15. This is Balaam's final oracle. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Listen, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So buried in this, uh, in the book of Numbers, this prophecy uh, indicating that a star will will appear out of the house of Jacob and it says a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter being representative of the ruling of a king. So royalty coming with a star. Okay, so there was that, uh, these men were for for sure aware of such a prophecy and maybe that is the sort of thing that um, was helpful in causing them to pay attention to the stars and show up when this particular one started moving toward a particular place. So these men, they're smart fellers. They see a star, they notice it's different. They maybe know this prophecy. They start going in its direction to follow it. So they show up in town and uh, they start asking this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. We've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, it says he was troubled and all the people with him. So, uh, and then what does he, well, one, he's troubled. Why is Herod troubled? Why are the people troubled? 
Well, this is pretty clear, right? Like he, he scrambles, I'm sorry, Herod scrambles his smart people and says, what's going on? <laughs> like, what, is this, what are these guys talking about? Why are they showing up in town and asking all these questions? And they tell him, well, uh, the Christ is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And they quote the prophet. And then he says, okay, I need to talk to these guys. They're all troubled because, Herod's troubled because, wait a minute, this is scripture it's the, could this be a prophecy being fulfilled, which directly threatens his reign, right? And the people are also worried because they're going, this could lead to some sort of civil unrest. And they're pretty comfortable where they are. So they start asking these questions. Herod's aware of them and he summons them to him. They make clear their purpose. Right? The Magi, these men make clear their purpose. That their purpose is to bring honor, to bring gifts, and to worship this newly born king. Who they recognize to not just be the heir of some throne or some province or nation, but the king of kings. There's something different about him. These men wouldn't have traveled or brought these sort of gifts or bestowed this sort of uh, worship, ascribed this kind of worth to the heir, some child heir of some random province nearby. This is a materially different situation. The response by Herod, as I mentioned, is that they're, just, they're, they're troubled. He's concerned. He's worried because of the threat to his reign. And so he deceives the Magi and says, like expressing genuine interest in the exact timing of the appearance of the star. So we surmise by what follows this text uh, later in this chapter around verse 16, where Herod says, hey, go out, any, any boys that are, that are two and under, go ahead and murder them. So we, we kind of surmise that he learns from the Magi that this star appeared roughly or sometime around two years ago or in the past from that point. And what does he say to him? He says, Will you, hey, I'm so glad you came. Will you go find exactly where this king is and come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him as well? Knowing full well he had no intent to worship Jesus, but surely would rather have eliminated him altogether. So the Magi, um, we're going to spend some time on what they actually did, but they complete their journey. They they go from uh, Jerusalem to Bethlehem And they find the place where the star rests. And on finding him, this language is pretty pretty telling. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How many superlatives can you fit in like a five-word phrase? Like they were beyond happy. They um, They were at least exuberant. Right? They, they, this was a genuine, deep joy and delight and exuberance on finding this person, this king of kings. And their response is one that we should take great note of. That they fall down and worship him. This isn't, again, this isn't just an indicator of sort of uh, uh, civil or civic kind of relations. Right? This isn't just a stately regard. This is a spiritual, religious act. They present sacrificial 
gifts, offerings, and, and they fall down and recognize and worship, uh, ascribe worth to this little boy as the king of kings and lord of lords. These were not just a monetary contribution to pay homage, which would have been normal, but allude to a very real biblical sense of offering sacrifices to a king. So these gifts, you may have heard, uh, heard something about these gifts in the past, about some suppositions that have been made on what, what do these gifts represent? Are they meaningful in, in their representation? So, for instance, the gold being a token of Christ's royalty, the frankincense a, a token of his divinity, which was commonly used for fragrance offerings um, in Jewish culture, and myrrh, a token of his sufferings to come. Myrrh, uh, an in- ingredient, a uh, substance commonly used for embalming of dead bodies. So, uh, these, could these gifts have been intended to, to sort of represent or signify the different offices Christ held as prophet, priest, and king? Absolutely. These really are kind of suppositions that have been made in reading through this text. Uh, but what is not a supposition is that these gifts were, were in fact very costly and intended to convey deep honor and respect. So the point of the gifts, the point of gifts in general, is the giving up of, of something that you may need or enjoy to one who may or may not, in this case clearly does not, need, um, but, but given as a demonstration of or celebration and declaration that the receiver is, uh, is of greater worth and value than the things being given. You see, John Piper, uh, he prays in, he has this Advent book called Good News of Great Joy. It's a really great Advent reading, um, if, if that's not a familiar one to you. But he prays in this Advent reading that, uh, he prays this, God, that you'd wield the world to see that you, Jesus, are worshipped. God wields the world to see that Jesus is worshipped. Therefore, whatever opposition I may find, I joyfully ascribe authority and dignity to you and bring my gifts to say that you alone can satisfy my heart and not these things. The prayer with the gifts is God that you would, I ascribe authority and dignity to you and bring these gifts to say that you alone can satisfy, not these things. So they, they bring these gifts, they come and they bow down and they worship. Um, and then... Uh, mercifully, God, by way of a dream, uh, sort of clues them into seeing Herod for who he is, a power-hungry, deceptive leader. And so they decide to stand him up on the whole deal and head home. So what's the purpose of this story? Well, I think we're given an example here that we ought to follow. But the first thing that we should note is that uh, that, that we ought to behold the glory of Christ come to earth. God's coming and dwelling among his people. This is the heart of the gospel, that, that God purchased your life with the perfect righteousness of his own son, his life for yours. John Piper also talks about the glory of God. If you've read anything from Piper, you've probably picked up on this. He's kind of obsessed with the glory of God in a really, really wonderful way. But he talks about the the glory of God being the manifestation of God's holiness. 
his altogether separateness and apartness. He is not, substantively is not who we are. He's not us better. He's completely different, wholly different. And this, this moment being uh, regarded as the, the moment where uh, God becomes incarnate. He takes on human flesh and is recognized and regarded by these men, uh, these magi, as being that. Holy and entirely different. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God come to earth. He is Emmanuel. In John 1.14 it says that the word became flesh. The word is Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Oh that we would behold that glory. That we would behold the manifestation. The actual representation of the holiness of God. Come to walk among us. His presence that we celebrate today. So, uh, purpose number one. I have three of these. If I didn't tell you that, if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. The first one, behold the glory of Christ come to earth. Second, um, and this is, uh, Brian actually preached a, a similar sermon maybe a year ago or two years ago. It would have been right about this Sunday, either last year or two years ago. Um, but he, he preached out of uh, Matthew 28, and this was thoughtful. I want to touch on it just slightly or remind you of it, uh, because this is actually part of the purpose of, the, the, of what's represented in this text, which is that the... Um, that, that Matthew sort of bookends his gospel with the account of these magi coming and declaring the holiness, the deity, the reign of Christ come to earth, bookended then by Matthew 28, which says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew, in his account of the gospel here, he he bookends it with this declaration, this recognition that Christ is the Holy One. He is the, the king, he is not just a king. He is the one who is to reign forever and ever. And then he bookends that with Jesus' own words declaring he is given all authority in heaven and on earth. So when Brian preached this, he, he points out that Jesus gets real explicit in the first person that, that Christ holds authority over everything, everywhere. Everything, everywhere. And based on that authority, he bids his people to carry out the mission of God. To see that all nations are discipled. That all nations are baptized. And that all nations honor and obey who come under the good rule and reign of Christ. This is the coronation of Jesus here on earth. This is, the, this is uh, his reign being... Uh, recognized, a reign that will be unending, that is unending. In case uh, we, we lacked any evidence of the sort of scope or duration of, of Jesus' reign, 
We've, in the last few weeks, read some texts from the gospel account in Luke of Christ's coming. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. A prophecy in Daniel, prophecy of Christ, Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions and beheld, I'm sorry, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and, uh, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting Dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It will never fade. It will never be diminished. It will never never pass away. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Friends, all of it is his. All of it is his. His rule and reign is total. It's complete. It is whole. It is uh, as far reaching as one could ever imagine uh, in, in heaven and on earth. So all of it is his. America is his. Afghanistan, North Korea, China, France, Delaware, Texas, Colorado, Jefferson County, Denver, all of it is his. There's not a single square inch of land or space on this earth or outside of it over which he has not declared that it is mine. It all belongs to him. Jupiter is the Lord's. It belongs to him. Galaxy ESO146-5. You guys are all familiar with that. Some 1.4 billion light years away. You know how far a light year is? It's really far. Real far. 1.4 billion light years away, an entire galaxy. And it belongs to him. He created it. He sustains it. He holds it together. You, your spouse, your kids, your job, your home, your boss, your bank account, your pantry, your cars, your school... You're rising and you're resting. Your health, all of it belongs to him. It's his. He's he's claimed authority over it. He reigns over all of it. We're easily, easily convinced that our possessions, our relationships, our ambitions, our emotions, our thoughts are all our own. Significantly, if not totally controlled by us, but... This conquering God king, come to earth as an infant, was declared and is the ruler of all of those things. And was declared ruler of all of those things, all of who you are, all of the air that you breathe, the space that you occupy, long before your great-great-grandparents were even alive. Friends, his reign is real and good, whether you acknowledge it or whether you like that fact or not. Whether any of those things, 
the, the relationships, the people, the possessions, whether any of those things ha- have gone or are going the way you want them to go, his reign is good and his reign is complete. So when we observe evil or destruction or pain or tragedy, are you tempted to assume that something has fallen outside of the reign of Christ? When we see friends and neighbors this past week who've lost everything in a fire that happened so suddenly, such destruction that, that our state has never seen, are we tempted to, to question the rule and reign of Christ? Friends, I, I, I tell you, we can't question that. We, we have to hold to the truth that God has declared uh, himself to be the one who rules and reigns over all things. And that reign is good. It's just. He's merciful and good in it. The last purpose uh, to which we are called in this text is to follow the example of the Magi. Their purpose in coming was what? To worship him. To worship him as the king of kings. Our call is to worship Jesus as the king of kings, to bring God as gifts, bringing to God as gifts the very things that he has given us. So the the command is to, to, in our loving, in our serving and leading of people, so our spouse, our friends, our our kids, uh, our roommates, our coworkers, doing all of those things as though it is service unto God, as though those things, all of those things belong to him and we are to live in submission to that good reign. We are to wield the resources that God has given us. So the the gifts of, of time, of money, of talents, of possessions, of opportunities, all of them uh, to be wielded to his glory and under his reign. Your very life, reminder, you do not exist for your own pleasure or comfort. You don't exist to establish uh, a, a legacy to make much of yourself. All of our lives are given to us uh, with each breath, each beat of our heart, each fleeting thought, grace upon grace, intended uh, to be a means by which to glorify God. So may you, may I, may all of us follow the example of these magi. May you worship him and rejoice in his good reign and to the glory of his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. God, you are a good and kind king. God, you are the ruler who uh, in your infinite knowledge and wisdom created a way for us to be reconciled to you. And it, and it began with the birth of uh, your son here on earth. God, that rule and reign, I pray that, God, you would help us where, where we struggle in our lives to bow the knee to your good reign and rule, where we buck against it, where we fight against it, where we question it, where we don't like it. God, I pray that you would give us faith to, and eyes to see that you are good and kind. And as a king and as our father, you rule and reign justly, mercifully, and with grace.
God, may we bow to you. May we worship you with all that we have. Every, every aspect, every moment of our lives. May it be to the glory of your holy name. Thank you for this, uh, for this text. Thank you for this day and this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.